0: Coming up on this week's episode of the Xenial Odyssey podcast. I want to kind of focus on the music industry, not so much bands or songs, but I want to just focus on the music industry. And that there was a lot of that crossover that went on, uh, in my opinion, in the early 90s. But I want to have like spirited conversations with people about that um, and just get the different perspectives. I want as many people to kind of give their point of view on something as possible. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Zenial Odyssey Podcast with Bobby Rocks here again. Zenial Odyssey Podcast is our discussion about the Zenial Generation. Depending on who you talk to, that can be anyone born between 1977 and 1985. I know, uh, in past podcasts, we've had we've had a few guests on. We've had uh, Sherry Lynn Nicholas on. We've had Remy on. Both are kind of opposite ends of that age range. And we have some uh, themes that have emerged, and I'm not going to really talk about those themes. This is really a solo podcast episode. I just kind of want to jump on and uh, have a podcast where I focus on a specific thing. Um, I will do this from time to time, uh, mixing it in with guests, uh, with co-hosts, what have you. Uh, Remy wasn't available for this podcast Um And I didn't really have anybody lined up to do any interviewing with. So every now and then I will jump on and just talk about a specific area. And so this area that we're going to talk about today specifically has to do with music. That may seem like a large topic area, but I want to kind of focus on the music industry. Not so much bands or songs, but I want to just focus on the music industry because I feel like as... I know me personally, as I came of age, uh, I really noticed a shift in the uh, music industry. And I noticed a shift in how music was distributed, in how sound quality was achieved. Uh, I noticed uh, overall a shift away from certain types of music or certain formats of music. And I'll get a little bit more into that. That's a little teaser for you guys. I'll get a little more into that after we do our usual thing. I give some shout-outs, and I play a song, and then we'll just go into talking about that. We're going to talk about one of my favorite things to talk about, and that is (laughs) we're going to talk about when um, formats like Napster and LimeWire came about, YouTube... Not quite to the extent of Napster or LimeWire, but it's along those same veins. And I really feel like this is a great topic to to just focus in on because, for people my age, it was just uh, revolutionary, and we haven't looked back since, for better or worse. So again, before we jump into that, we're gonna play we're gonna play some music as always uh, music i have is brought to you by soundstripe soundstripe is a paid service site there are different tiers that you can purchase and that will give you access to different uh, areas of the website itself again soundstripe is a site where independent artists can uh, put their music out there and the money you pay goes directly back to the artists I also want to give another shout-out, as typical that I do, to Sweetwater. Uh, I'm currently recording on my new Zoom PodTrack P4 digital recorder. I just got this in the mail uh, from Soundstripe. They were doing a deal. It's typically a certain price. It was 20% off, and uh, if you've never purchased anything from Sweetwater, Sweetwater is a wonderful company. They will uh, call you when you purchase something and they just want to know your satisfaction they also want to get get an idea of uh what you'll be purchasing in the future and when you do get your packages they arrive with a an an up-to-date brochure uh, of all the sales that they have going on you get a thank you letter from the ceo and uh i haven't gotten it every single time but there are times where i also get candy and uh, i love candy i also think it's a it's a nice touch uh that they do so again that was purchased through sweetwater the digital recorder i have i can uh, plug in up to four dynamic microphones and headsets i can do uh phone conversations phone interviews on this which i think is pretty cool i also have the ability to uh, play some sound effects i can mute microphones i can adjust uh, the output and i can adjust the input as far as audio goes that is all right before i even jump on and start to um edit it on the software on my laptop so again i love it uh so far so good i've played around with it a little bit and i gotta say it is uh it is it is interesting <laughs> thank you thank you thank you yeah that's right everybody yeah i got applause I got applause, uh, action steps. And, uh, I know, I just know from experience that Remy's going to get a kick out of messing with this stuff. Yeah, that, see that, there we go. Uh, I'm just kidding guys. That's the last I'm going to do with that. Cause, uh, that's not really my thing, but you know, I'm sure we'll use it every now and then. So without further ado, we will, uh, get into the song and then we will come back. We'll talk about the song a little bit and we'll get right into this topic right here. And as always, you are listening to Bobby Rocks on The Zenial Odyssey podcast. As always as well, welcome to the Odyssey. Yeah. Bye everybody welcome back uh that song was long drive by half measure uh i i felt like it was just nice i mean it's it's somewhat of a throwback about 15 years um but that doesn't mean it's it's one way or the other to me it was just a good song and that's why i usually pick songs it it kind of uh resonates with me on some level and i think the main reason i picked it is because uh we're gonna jump back we're gonna do some uh, nostalgia here And we're going to go back, and we're going to talk about when the music changed. So, I would say for me, someone born in the early 1980s, uh, the 90s was really kind of a a pinnacle standpoint for uh, a shift in music, in my opinion, and I I will debate this with anybody. I think it's the last great generation for mainstream music i want to differentiate that because i think the early 2000s there was a lot of good music but it wasn't necessarily music that was getting played on the radio all the time and i remember a time in the early 1990s when you could listen to kiss 108s like top 10 and their top 10 would be something to the effect of uh like never gonna get it by en vogue you would have a song by nirvana You would have Under the Bridge by the Red Hot Chili Peppers. You could have uh, hip-hop. I remember a time when hip-hop was... uh, When there was hip-hop that came out and it was iconic. Like, think of Eminem. Think of the Marshall Mathers uh, LP or even uh, the Slim Shady LP. When those albums came out, um, the big rock station around Massachusetts at the time was uh, 104.1 WBCN, which is no longer around. And that's something I'll also touch upon uh, you could hear you could hear songs by these artists played on these their the they're rap their hip-hop and they're played on rock stations and that there was a lot of that crossover that went on uh, in my opinion in the early 90s so number one uh, that's something that just does not happen anymore and as a child in my formative years growing up in that kind of uh, mindset it really was like a, a just a an explosion of different styles of music, and it really um, influenced me uh, growing up. I went through periods where there were certain specific types of music that I I would listen to, uh, like rock and hard rock and classic rock and metal and punk rock, Uh, but I did also have a lot of instances where I loved listening to hip-hop. I loved listening to trip-hop. I loved listening to uh, EDM. I loved listening to all kinds of music. I love to listen to classical music. Uh, it really is, is a joy to me. Um, but I noticed at some point, one big thing that happened um, was we had the major radio, the ranger record labels, sorry. They were buying out the independent labels and it seemed like it really sped up in the 90s. Uh, Sub Pop, for example, where Nirvana, uh, R- Nirvana recorded Nevermind on Sub Pop Records. And they, they were bought out. And that was just one of the many. I also think about uh, record producers. Uh, one of the most sought-after uh, record producers, like Steve Albini, he would virtually record for an upcoming or an independent artist who was either on a small label an indie label and he would charge them relatively little money however if you were an artist that came to him on a major label he was uh i i believe at the time like in the early 90s he had set something like uh he was just automatically base base rate of fifty thousand dollars. he was charging and maybe in the in the game now $50,000 $50,000 isn't a lot of money. But back then, $50,000 just to get in the door and kind of sit down and talk with him about uh, producing an album was pretty large. And actually, he's Steve Albini is the one who produced uh, In Utero for Nirvana. And I believe he charged uh, the record label at the time $100,000. And that was just to meet with them and discuss uh, the sound. And for people who aren't really familiar with Steve Albini, there's a lot of artists that have sought him out because he really does a stripped-down, raw-sounding production. And, for example, when Nirvana was looking to record in utero, that's what they were looking for. They viewed Nevermind as a pop album, and they just wanted to produce something that was not a pop album. And that's why when you listen to an album like In Utero, it, it has a harsher sound to it and it has a heavier sound to it and a darker tone to it because that's what they were looking for uh i believe and i'm i'm just paraphrasing here but when he asked kirk Obain what he was looking to do kirk O'Bain said i'm looking to tear down everything i just built up with Nevermind." i think that's that's i actually commend him for that if true that you know it it it, uh it's like he's going in a direction to add credibility Uh, kind of get back to basics, but, um, so where I was going with that is that, uh, as the nineties progressed, uh, that kind of stuff went away and you know, uh, record labels would just, uh, they'd even monopolize producers, uh, song producers of all kinds and they get them into contracts. And that's when Steve Albini kind of steps away from the mainstream because that he wasn't about that. He was like, I'm not going to sell out myself. Uh, for people again, who don't really know, he had his own sound studio, uh, built in his, uh, in his home and he lived in, uh, in the Chicago area. That's where he was from. And he, uh, he refused to kind of give into all that stuff. And unfortunately when the major labels come in and they buy things out and they corporatize music, um, they phase out people like him. And I think that's really unfortunate. I know, um, Billy Corrigan from the smashing pumpkins has talked about that a lot. He has talked about uh, when the Smashing Pumpkins signed their deal. They were signed to like a ten record uh, deal, and they saw the money signs, and they were all great. But he even said in hindsight, you don't. They didn't have an attorney. They didn't have an agent to help them walk them through all the fine print. He he's a very intelligent guy, but even he doesn't did couldn't get through all the jargon. And you know, ultimately, at some point, it cost. Um, him and the Smashing Pumpkins, uh, creative control, and that's really when they started to fizzle out because he he became uh, disenfranchised with um with the record label they were on and with um you know mainstream music, and that that really played out um, as as the nineties progressed, and then when we got to the end of the nineties, we had Napster, and Napster came along, and Napster. Uh, gave us the ability to download songs for free. And we were able to do that for a little bit, but then obviously the artists caught on. Famously, Metallica was strongly against Napster. And if anybody out there remembers Newgrounds.com, Newgrounds.com was wonderful, and they just lampooned metallica about that stuff and they created a uh, flash flash art cartoon animation type of things they did a lot of different things they did like fda you know i won't go into what fda is but they created a video where it was like lars and um and james <laughs> that were just caricatures of themselves and they were like the um they were like the napster police going around to people and getting them to stop downloading their music for free and napster is a great example all the way also of. Um, when the industry caught up to uh, Napster and they, and they started to monetize it and that's when Napster kind of went downhill. And then LimeWire came along and oh boy. There is a meme out there about LimeWire and I love it. It's, it's like um, using LimeWire for people like us were like it was like having unprotected sex with the internet and nothing could be uh, more accurate about something like LimeWire. I mean, you were like 50-50 if you were getting a Trojan virus or something like that when you were downloading songs. Um, but the uh, thing that happened because of you know music-sharing sites like Napster and LimeWire and others is I feel like our taste in music collectively as a whole started to change. Uh, we started to focus more on single songs and singles in and of themselves, and I noticed that during this time there was a shift away from uh, album orientated music. And one problem that I had with that is that you had bands coming out, and the bands were producing uh, like three or four quality songs, and the rest of the albums would be garbage. And the you know the music industry was still charging you like $12, 13 dollars for an album. And you're basically paying that for, you know, three songs. And then, again, even though you would have to pay for uh, songs, um, like, in a format like uh, iTunes, when Apple really kind of picked up the game with the iPods and iPhones and and the iTunes uh, website itself, uh, again, they took really good advantage of it. If it wasn't a popular song, I remember when it was $0.67 for one song, and then it went to, and it would be, like, $0.99 for a popular song. And, uh, I re- I just, I remember that that was enticing. Even if I liked a lot of songs, I mean, I could kind of cherry pick and, you know, maybe I'm just old school. Cause I was, a, I, 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 view myself as a holdout of wanting to transition to just that mindset of just one or one or two songs at a time, um, from an album, because I, I, I what I would do is I would download these songs if I like them and I, maybe I got the preview of other songs then I would go out and I'd buy the album. Uh now granted when that that really shifted when I uh got my first iPod and I I mean I went I went balls to the wall. I would get a, the one that you could have 20,000 songs on. And I'm pretty sure at one point I had on my on my iPod or even my phone when I switched over to phones. I think I was I was around 20,000 um Songs, But it seems like when we have these great things that come along, be it Napster, be it iTunes, be it um, the independent record labels or independent bands, it just seems like it really sped up um, how quickly uh, the music industry, the record industries, uh, who, in my opinion, that's when they really got in bed with uh, just major corporations and just really created this sterile this sterile kind of sounding music. Um, and I think hip hop was the last kind of genre of music that got sterilized, but it's, I I feel it's pretty sterile now. And my problem with, uh, like that kind of mindset is that then, uh, it trickles down to like the, the radio, the radio, the radio stations got bought out by the same corporations. um, really the the monopolization of every of everything related to music and entertainment uh happened during our lifetime in tenfold there was very little uh places to go or it would it was and i know i've talked about it before and maybe in a short or or maybe in another episode but it seems like with this advancement of technology uh people's abilities to do uh so much so much easier uh that things like music would have been would have been so much easier to obtain uh, up-and-coming artists having more creativity and it it just hasn't materialized because of the stranglehold that the uh, the select few uh, corporations and record labels have on music and I I really I really truly feel like that's why um, as far as mainstream music goes like rock is dead Is in my opinion, is rock actually dead? No. But, um, for example, you got to go to something like Soundstripe to hear artists that are making music, you know, with freedom and creativity. And so again, you know, turn around the late '90s and early 2000s. That's when I noticed that. uh, It's mostly in hindsight. Um, I I'm free to admit that I'm I'm terrible at being in the present. And what I mean by that is. Like, if you think of the trends or you think of the things that were going on during a period of time in your life, uh, even though I was a part of a lot of those things, like, I in the moment, I never felt like a part of them. It's only, like, looking back on it or um, especially when it comes to certain music types, uh, I didn't appreciate it in the moment. It's only like years later when I did. I guess the best way I can summarize that for anybody who's a fan of The Office is uh, if we could look back to the old, the uh, the last episode of The Office, uh, towards the end of the episode, uh, they're interviewing Andy. And Andy was talking about, you know, looking back on the good old days when he worked for Dunder Mifflin. And then he says, you know, it's a shame that um, you can't live in the in the good old days during the good old days. So I think like for me that's it like enjoying things in the moment in the moment in time when they they came out when it would have been just every you know uh, a cultural phenomenon for some things and and that's that's just not my mindset. And a band that I I love and listen to that fits into this category. They also fit into the category of a band that to me exists outside of everything I just explained but they also exist out of time and that is the flaming lips uh, the flaming lips have operated on major labels but they've really operated you know independently um, they for most people who don't know I mean the flaming lips have been around since 1985 and they didn't get they didn't really get to the point where people think of them now until like 1999-2000 when the soft bulletin came out by the way, one of, uh, in my opinion, one of the greatest albums to come out in my lifetime, uh, I put that album up against anything. Any kind of music or any kind of album you could throw at me, uh, that would be one of my first albums that I will go to is The Soft Bulletin. And so we have a band like The Flaming Lips, who, and they, they just were able to operate on major labels kind of as a periphery kind of... Um, kind of like a band that the record label would look at and be like, eh, well, you know, I guess they're making us music, but yeah, we're not going to use them as a push. Cause they're weird. I'm glad that if that's the case, if they were weird, because they were able to kind of figure out what, uh, what they wanted to be, what their sound was going to be, who they were going to be. And because of that, we got great albums like the soft bulletin, like, um, Zarika. We got, uh, Yashimi battles, the pink robots, why am I blanking on the one that came after that? It's, it's a decent album, not quite as good as, uh, Yashimi or, uh, the soft bulletin or even Sarika, but it's, it's still kind of, uh, uh, was in the, their sound during the, you know, the late nineties, early two thousands. And to me, they are really the, the last like rock band that, uh, has been able to do that and be successful and be untouched because I feel like a lot of other artists, uh, do, they do get touched. Um, and influenced, for better or worse, mostly for worse. We can argue like if Queens of the Stone Age uh, were kind of like that because they did come out in the um, early mid '90s as uh, they rose from the ashes of Caius. And uh, we could also argue about metal bands. Metal bands, I feel, are a little different. Um, but yeah, at least in the United States, because I know in Europe, it's a little bit different like metal bands over there are still huge iron maiden is still a huge band everywhere and i can see why iron maiden's an awesome band um but the, the, you know depending on where you are in the world is that there's certain types of music that aren't uh looked upon in the united states uh the same way i, I that's where i kind of am like oh i wish i was there you know so i didn't have to listen to all the the garbage that i feel is out now that um there's very little talent there's barely very, very little added and I just see uh, the record industry just kind of, you know, failing and and just dying out completely, completely because of what they've done to themselves. Um, and that's why I've said uh, before that I was always looking to be a part of revolution. something In some way, be a part of something that was revolutionary. And I always thought that that could be music, being caught up in the emotions of the moment like that. Uh, but... As I've gone on, I feel like things like what we're doing here, those are doing a podcast, um, doing it with the DIY approach that I've talked about before. Uh, that's really kind of the next avenue is just us talking and having conversations about it. And I just I want to talk about like you know, music, for example, because I know music is something that's important to many people. And. My hope is that we can have a podcast in the future where I have multiple people on and we can debate what I've talked about here. And as always, I talk about it. We can debate things in a safe manner, in a safe platform, because I'm a I'm kind of person that I don't just dig in. I know uh, that's one thing I think of social media. That's That can be a different topic for a different day and what that does as far as uh, uh, div- dividing us. But I think I want to create uh, a forum where people from different uh, ideologies and backgrounds, and here we're just talking about music, you agree and disagree with it, but I want to have like spirited conversations with people about that um, and just get the different perspectives. I want as many people to... Kind of give their point of view on something as possible, so people think that like, oh, you're just not looking at the right kind of mainstream music and all that, or mainstream music is, is more talented than than you're giving it credit for. Hey, you're more than welcome to come on here. Uh, maybe you'll change my mind on that. And maybe you won't because uh, you know I'm, I I really feel like I don't get it. I, d- I don't get it. Uh, and I'm not even gonna spend the time to even uh, name artists. The this, to me, there's no point in that. There's no point in giving them more uh, more FaceTime more airtime than, than I feel they need, which is none. But yeah, I really feel like the roots to um, the demise of modern mainstream music uh, happened in the nineties and the early two thousands. And then as a result of that, we started to lose uh, musical stations. I remember when I was in high school. Uh, BCN was, was pretty corporate at that time. And if you really kind of wanted to listen to, um, that cutting edge music, you would listen to college radio or you would listen to, um, independent radio radio stations that were focused on independent music. So for this, the area that I grew up in, that would be like a 95.5 WBRU, uh, 91.5 WBIM. That was Bridgewater State's, uh, university's college radio station uh, much like many college radio stations um, WAF WAF was like who would you go to for hard rock and metal uh, and you know they started to change and they became uh, like other stations and then that was part of the reason of their demise and then BCN to their credit I think they held on longer because they focused more on having on-air personalities, that could make up for the fact that they were just playing music, the people that want to listen to. And in fact, for anybody who doesn't know, I mean, one of the largest uh, sports talk radio stations in the country, um, the toucher and rich show on 98.5, the sports hub, they really, uh, they got their start on BCN in the afternoons with the toucher and rich show there. And a lot of the stuff that they do now, they were doing on that. And you know, then they were, I loved them. That's when I first heard them. And when I heard that BCN was going away and they, they were at least going to be on the next sports talk radio uh station and i was like okay cool it's fantastic all right but yeah i mean you have bcn is gone bru is gone uh AAF is gone and what were, they were replaced with is like christian music sports talk radio and a sports talk radio is not your thing i mean th- that's just music that was taken away from you uh i mean it's a thing for me but yeah at the same time i had less music to listen to and we this is when we gave rise to internet radio to hd radio stations and yeah that's a place where you can get your fix and i do agree that like things like spotify and apple music uh and soundcloud and youtube and i know i talked about youtube but i didn't like these are the places where you can get that that fix um but I, I just liked that it was as easy as turning on your radio in your car if you're commuting to work. And you could, you could easily just listen to music. And it, that's something that just doesn't uh, happen anymore. Again, it's harder. You have to do more work. I know I'm really sounding like a millennial now. Uh, <laughs> it's hard. I have to click a button instead of just turn on my car. Um, but, yeah, that's my, that's my kind of spiel for the day. On um, the music industry, and I know, uh, especially Remy, when when Remy does come back on, I mean, we were going to have spirited debates about this, uh, partially because of what he does for a living, and, um, with writing and uh, kind of critiquing music, and uh, he can go, he can go on a tangent about it too. Uh, but I know he somewhat feels different to me because he he does uh, cover like pop pop culture, which I have nothing to do with because it has no value to me whatsoever. But uh, this is a good place to stop for today. And we'll come back another time. We'll always have that format. I'll always give my shout-outs to uh, Sweetwater, to Soundstripe, to you know, Zoom for this wonderful digital recorder I have, and for um, Samson for my microphones and, and all of that. And uh, as always, I thank you for listening to the podcast with me today. But as always, this odyssey has come to a conclusion on the XOP, the Zenial Odyssey podcast. Take care.